She Talks Asia seeks to be a microphone for voices and ideas that can make an impact for women around the world. We believe in the power of sharing stories and sparking necessary conversations with some of the most interesting and inspiring female figures we've come across. Listen in on these conversations here on the She Talks Asia podcast. Hi, everybody. Sarah and Isa here today and on our podcast for this episode, She Talks with Anka Griffiths. We have with us Anka Griffiths who is the CEO and co-founder of OM Health, which connects women to health experts around the world and is an author of the book, Why Women Aren't Winning at Health, which comes out early of 2023. So Isa, first of all, I want to say thank you again for bringing Anka onto our radar. This conversation was both insightful and highly informative. And I feel like I just have this toolkit of things to pass on to my kids really on on how to what to look out for when it comes to women's health. It's just important that we're actually having these kinds of conversations right now. Because we need to be aware like, um, you probably a lengthy conversation, but at some point, you're going to learn the difference between the heart attack of uh, the symptoms of a heart attack for women and men, which I didn't even know about that there was a difference prior to meeting Anka. So just all these things, um, we talked about a lot of things and it's really helpful no matter what stage in life that you're at. You could be in your 20s, you could be, we discussed menstrual cycle. She talked about briefly about perimenopause, pregnancy, postpartum, miscarriages, this, this, you know, Sarah, it was my first time to hear that statistic that one in every four pregnancies can lead to a miscarriage. And that hurt. As a pregnant woman hearing that, I didn't even know of that statistic. So allow me to say thank you, Lord, for this blessing. Not everyone has that privilege. And and, (sighs) there's so much to learn about ourselves, right? It really is. Yeah. about how to take care of ourselves. And I think that Mm -hmm. uh, in this episode, Anka gives us numbers and stats that um, I just really are hard to ignore. You know, the fact that it takes 17 years on average for medical research to actually be implemented in the field um, and how uh, largely that a lot of the testing has been done for men and things that apply to men and from aspirin to I, just a gamut of other things. Intermittent fasting. <laughs> Intermittent fasting. Whole differently, whole differently yeah. in a woman's body. But we're going to jump in uh, right about now. All right, here we go. She Talks Asia podcast live and direct. My name is Sarah Meyer. Isa Calzado is in the house. And Anka Griffiths, we are so honored to have you on the show today. Welcome. Thank you. So good to be here. So Isa. I remember when you first mentioned bringing Anka on board for the podcast, uh, your eyes were sparkling and um, you, you felt very uh, connected to Anka's mission. Can you talk us, uh, talk us through a little bit about that? Yeah, so um, I first, I, I met Anka because Ben, my husband, and Anka's husband, Evan, are working together for Bookie. And so they're always chatting. They've been like, 
I think for the past year and a half, I'm like, who is this Evan? And then finally, uh, I met Anka together with Evan in Bangkok earlier this year. And I had just found out that I was pregnant. And then here she was talking about OM and how she put up this, this um, website that helps uh, connect women with health experts around the world. And she said, I let her tell her story, but it, it was basically also kind of aligned with her pregnancy journey. Her, so that's how it started for her. Um, and, and I just learned so much from her in just one sit-down dinner, you know. It was a 15-course meal, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a long dinner. I wanted to get to know her more and she was so supportive as well, reaching out and wanting to help me through my pregnancy journey. And so I, I, I really just wanted more people to know about um, Anka, her website, OM, and what she has been doing for women and what um, the future holds for women's health. So, awesome. yeah. okay, so that's why we have Anka Thanks. here. <laughs> there you go. Thanks. All right. And Anka, Isa tells me that you started out in luxury goods. Is that right? I did. Yeah. So just a little bit more about my background. Um, I used to work in the luxury industry for a long time. So I'm Canadian, but very quickly after finishing school, I moved to Paris and I started working for the Richemont Group, which owns Cartier, Von Clef, watches jewelry and a little bit of fashion. So in that time, I've spent six years in Paris and then I moved to Asia over 10 years ago. I was with them, you know, when luxury transitioned online. So, you know, before the early 2000s, you wouldn't imagine that somebody could go online and buy a $3,000 handbag, right? Or buy jewelry or shoes, and especially Europeans would say, oh, you really need that experience in the boutique to trust it. You need to, you know, have that, that amazing luxury experience when you walk in nobody would spend that much money online on luxury and it turned out to be very wrong because we do um it just has to be done in a way that people trust the platform and of course they trust it because the products are legitimate because they offer a great experience and all this so i was with them through that transition um and wasn't thinking about doing anything else and then i i you know experienced a few health challenges and experiences myself so that's why when i met isa i was like you need to listen to me <laughs> you know as as all women we want to like give advice but not too much and so um and she was really good to listen to me for a 15 course meal <laughs> so i just chatted on and on at the end i was thinking oh no i did that thing where i talked about the business the whole time <laughs> Um, so yeah, I, 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 you know, went, suffered some miscarriages and I had two babies and through that journey, the thing that really surprised me is one, how unprepared I was for it all, how unprepared I was for the postpartum journey, how, when I exp experienced a pregnancy loss, which one in four pregnancies can end in a miscarriage, um, there was, you know, little to no information about it or support about it you know um i looked online and found something on webmd you find the stats behind it and you're thinking okay if if one in four women you know that that are pregnant go through this where's the support 
I mean, where, where's the tools for support, especially when you think of, you know, all that there is for something like cellulite, <laughs> you know, there's hundreds of solutions for cellulite, right? But it's true, right? Uh, yeah. Or, or you name something else. Um, where's the support for this? Where's the understanding? Where's the everything, right? Um, the same thing happened with postpartum. You know, I came home and I realized I didn't know anything about what was going to happen. <laughs> How can that be, right? Um, so that's when I thought, well, who would I want to know about this? I would want to find out about this part of my life or this part of my health journey from the best health experts, right? Again, we invest in expensive creams, we invest in clothes and shoes. What if I wanted to invest in my health, but talk to the best experts on each matter, right? So that's where the idea of bringing together all of the best health experts from across the world came. Um, I started working on this before COVID. Uh, and all I knew is that after living in Europe and living here in Asia and, you know, being Canadian from North America, in different parts of the world, you find, you know, people that specialize in different things in different ways. So I thought this platform also needs to be diverse because, you know, um, there's certain things that, that are happening in Europe that everybody needs to know. There are certain things that are happening in the U.S. that everybody needs to know. And of course, Asia as well. Um, so started with that and then COVID hit. And interestingly enough, you know, with COVID, it can go one or two ways. Some businesses have been impacted um, and struggled. But for me, it gave me one element that I didn't have before, which is this, what we're doing right now, the comfort of, you know, meeting people from across the world easily without questioning it, right? And the tech, <laughs> it was all of a sudden there. So I didn't need to explain, you know, to a woman in Switzerland that, okay, you're going to be meeting with a heart expert in, in the U.S., that there's, you know, there's just before that it would have, it would have been in a whole other hurdle. So that's a bit about the journey and how, you know, why I, I got to where I was, what I didn't expect. So it was purely, okay, coming in at access, women and men need to access the best health experts internationally. What I discovered once I brought these health experts on board and I accessed the knowledge that they had really blew my mind about the health industry and about what we understand and don't understand, and especially as women about the health gender gap for women. And because of that, that's why with Dr. Marjorie Jenkins and Dr. Alison McGregor, we are writing this book now, which is going to come out at the beginning of the year, which is looking at women's health in particular. You touched on the differences in cultures. What, what, I guess, name a few that really pop out in terms of differences in Western, Eastern. I don't know if you can just um, divide it into that or there are several things that you can talk about that women don't even know exist. Like, yeah. I remember, okay, just quickly, you were the first person to tell me about the pelvic floor and I was like, what? I didn't even know about this pre, pre this journey. So um, please... Tell us uh, what you've learned. Yeah, Anka, I would love to. Yeah, I would love to hear about the the wisdom of women's care from uh, like across cultures. That would be so cool. It is really, really fascinating. And again, the the reason why 
I, I knew it needed to be an international panel was because of what I experienced in Europe and what I've experienced in, in Asia too. So Sarah, you're in the US, Isa, you're in the Philippines. I'm in Hong Kong right now. So it's a perfect, it's a really diverse panel as well. Um, so first, I lived in, in France for six years. In France, part of the medical system, once you give birth, is that you get pelvic floor rehabilitation. So you, at the six week mark where most women go and they, you know, have the check, you start working with a pelvic floor physiotherapist to figure out what your pelvic floor needs. You don't need to tell a woman in France that you need to do this because it's like a de facto, they, they go and that's being done, right? They might not understand exactly why they're doing it, but if we want to just look at it, I'm not a pelvic floor therapist, but our pelvic floor is a group of muscles and ligaments that holds our organs in place. It's responsible for breathing, or it's responsible for our waist size, for our posture, for our back health, and of course, for giving birth to babies, sexual health. It's responsible for a wide variety of things, even things like standing up, right? Um, super important that this muscle, right? And we're talking about a muscle as much as this is an arm muscle, a muscle or other muscles that we have, needs to be in good health. When you're pregnant, it's as if you put bowling balls on top of a trampoline, right? Once you take the bowling balls off uh, the trampoline, <laughs> the, the pelvic floor is weakened, but it can be weakened in different ways, right? It can be um, a little bit too relaxed or because it's a muscle, it could have stayed tight like this almost the entire time and it needs to relax, right? So you need to see a pelvic floor therapist to support you in understanding what's happening and to strengthen it up. Because once you give birth, if, if you give birth uh, naturally, vaginally, there's going to be a strain that's put on this muscle and sometimes it's weakened to a point that you can't reanimate it by itself. Kegel floor exercises, for example. So for all these reasons, after you give birth, women in France, Switzerland, some other countries, I'm not exactly sure of all the countries in Europe that do this, go to a pelvic floor therapist and they get sessions to strengthen their pelvic floor. Try to tell this to, you know, women in North America, and you know canada us australia anywhere else they're like no i'm good you know i'm good and then i see things stats like 20 to 30 percent of women live with pelvic floor incontinence which means that you know they're they're peeing their pants and they're like oh you know it's a mom problem no it's not a mom problem you know if you if you had trouble with your arm and you couldn't lift your coffee cup in the morning, you wouldn't be like, ah, who needs this arm? <laughs> you know, you'd go and you'd do something about it. So that's, you know, and how we do one thing is how we do all things. So when I saw that, I thought, well, wait, the stats on this are incredible, right? If women in the US understood this, if women in other parts of the world understood this and looked to get support at the right time, the preventative health that you know they the benefits that they would get from this would be you know amazing so that's why you know okay let's bring a pelvic floor therapist to talk about pelvic floor health um here living in hong kong and in asia after i gave birth to to my first child i realized how important the the um postpartum phases in women's 
healing. And so I went from Canada and Europe to it's where like, okay, let's focus a lot on the pregnancy. And then after let's take care of the baby. So let's read all the books on that. And let's read all the books on the baby. And then when the mom comes home, it's all focused on the baby. But what about the mother's body that went through a lot and that, you know, gave birth and that now needs to heal? What are we doing for that? And in Asia, it's a multi-billion dollar industry and nobody else knows about it, right? Um, is that how are things in the Philippines? How do women approach postpartum? Because I know there's a bit of a culture as well, right, to it. You know, um, I think Sarah would be a better person to ask that because she's actually given birth here in the Philippines. But that was what, 14? Oh, you weren't here. So I, yeah, so I never gave birth in the Philippines. And um <gasps> Yeah, it was always in the U.S. And but but what was interesting about going through that experience in the U.S. and comparing um, the experience of of peers in the Philippines that were that were giving birth in hospitals there was that I noticed that there was a drastic um, high in the rate of C-sections in the Philippines. And it's almost as if the culture was just like. We're just going to try to get you out of here. We don't want you to suffer for too long. Let's make this quick. We'll, we'll take the baby out C-section and be on your way with no sort of uh, exactly that support system of these are going to, this is what your recovery period is going to be like, or, you know, maybe it is actually healthy for the woman's body to push it out uh, vaginally when there is an option or we'll give it a little more time. So, you know, I obviously can't speak for, for every every you know birthing center or option in the philippines but um at that time that was the comparison that i that i witnessed other than that postpartum care is what would you say i mean there's a strong i want to say there's a strong chinese influence um yes. there's suggestions about in the number of days uh in the bed number of days around the bed and out of the bed um you know and not showering not sure. Yeah, right. How much water you're you're immersing yourself into and what temperature the water is maybe. But Filipino culture is, I don't know. Is there anything that stands out to you that you can recall? I haven't heard something that is intrins like intrinsically Filipino. Um, I, I don't know about maybe herbal baths that maybe exist somewhere. I, I mean, I'd love to find out, right? As like, um, I'm yeah. sure indigenous tribes have practices that we haven't really passed on to the modern Filipina. However, the the Chinese um, practices are quite strong, um, and and I uh, mothers seem to know about it. A lot of my friends kind of know. Oh, Gelai, um, there's so I discovered through a friend that there is. Um, as uh, like a meal provider here even called Gelai PH and they um, help you with your prenatal and postnatal um, uh, nutrition. And I, they started, personally, they started sending me like some soups, like black chicken soup, red date soup, but that's so far what I have. Um, but there seems to be some very, uh, like I, I say strict because I, I heard some women don't take a bath for a month and I'm like I don't know if I can do that I don't know if that's going to be good for my mental health but Anko you might know more about you probably know more about this so, so here's the thing and then again when you go to an expert um, 
and I'm not an expert, I just facilitated. But when you go to a traditional Chinese doctor, they can explain to you the whys behind it all. Because in, in, in a lot of these things, and we don't, we should not discount them, but there's a big part of, of uh, culture. And then I would say medicine, right? The culture is, is these rules that are passed down. And it might have been relevant at a time, like don't shower. So the, the don't shower postpartum, for example, comes from a time when people used to live on farms. And when you'd live on farms, in, especially in China, because the, a lot of this culture is coming from China, your bathroom would be outside. The majority of China is cold. And with your outside bathroom, you wouldn't have hygienic water. So for a woman after she gave birth to wash, she would need to walk um, from her house outside to the washroom, wash with water that sometimes wasn't sanitized, and then walk back, you know, a bit wet. And of course, you shouldn't wash if that's the case, right? And so if that's the case, you know, until you get strong, don't wash because you're going you're gonna to catch a cold and then you're going to get a lot more sick. In today's age, if you speak with a traditional Chinese doctor, nobody's going to tell you not to wash. Do you have an indoor bathroom? Do you have hot water? Um, wash because it's great. You, you, you sweat a lot. You know, you might be breastfeeding. Wash dry yourself really well, you know, kind of, again, don't stay in air conditionings. Um, but, but that's the difference between being empowered with the information from a health expert to understand why you're doing something versus just saying, okay, you can't shower during this time because, you know, you're going to uh, have weak bones in your 50s. And then you're like, well, that doesn't sound right to my modern women's, <laughs> you know, brain. <laughs> And that's the difference. How do we access information from the best health experts that can explain to us why are we doing something and, and what tools there are available for us to tap into? And I think with anything that you're doing for your body, from health to wellness, do it, but understand why. You know, understand what your body needs, understand what that's doing for you, and then you you know, you're a grown woman, make a decision if you want to do it or not, but coming from a place of empowered understanding. I think, I think too often today with, we're being sold so many products, right? If we go back to, you know, our pelvic floor, there's so many apps now that you can do Kegel exercises. There's inserts, there's, you know, Gwyneth Paltrow with the, the eggs and everything. I'm not saying they're bad, but I'm saying you might not you, it might not be applicable to all. You, it, you could use it once you understand why you're using it, if that it's right for you, and then great, go ahead. But a lot, sometimes it's the exact opposite thing that you should be doing. Um, and everything can be solved with, with understanding of why you're doing it. So, Anka, and maybe maybe you've already addressed this with with OM, but if you could fix sort of the the accessibility or like the journey, like the the patient or customer um, journey, how would it change? Because I know that in the U.S. and maybe in other places, you start by going to a general practitioner that kind of does sort of like you know the basics, blood test, runs like sort of basics, and then will channel you off to a specialist for if there's an anomaly maybe in in the stats somewhere. Right? Um, is there is there a, a one one size fits all path or program for everybody, or does it really differ all across the board depending on circumstances? 
it it there's first of all so one size fits all is is the wrong approach um absolutely because we're all different uh you know according to our sex according to our age according to our health condition and what we're going through now whether you're in the us and this is why i wrote the book with two doctors from the us dr allison mcgregor and dr marjorie jenkins or you're we are somewhere else the system that you're in has health practitioners that can work with you and there are some that are just kind of you you're part of a funnel and you need to as a woman especially try to find the right healthcare practitioner for you and we have in the book dr marjorie jenkins outlines what is a good relationship to have with your doctor it doesn't mean that you agree on everything it just means that somebody that has a conversation with you that you're able to you know challenge each other and hold each other accountable and um you know it's it's interesting because just if you think about it, it as women if we are not happy with our hairdresser you know because they don't do a good job on our hair or because we don't connect with them you know they either chat too much or not too little we're gonna look you know we're gonna look for somebody else but um, with our doctor, just like, oh, you know, he's, he's just never listens to me. Okay, well, try to find somebody that listens to you. And I know it's not always easy. And I know, you know, the pendulum swings in many ways. You know, a generation ago, it used to be that doctors had the expertise on everything and you'd go in and you wouldn't challenge them and you just do what they say. Now it seems like we've become the experts because we, you know, we hear things online and Dr. Google and everything. And so now we don't want to listen to doctors. We just kind of go at our own health in our own way. Um, but it needs to be somewhere in the middle where you work well with your health or wellness practitioners, whatever they are. And that goes the same for your doctor, your OBGYN, or your personal trainer. Anybody that deals with your health has to have an approach where they're looking at you and they are experts in their own field. And from there, they're going to, they're going to guide you in the right way. And they're also going to tell you, look, you know, maybe we don't have information about this, or maybe um, this, we're, we're, you know, I don't know how to do, but there's somebody else that you can see that's the kind of health practitioner that you should be looking for. And we we should, at this point, you know, neither be in the space where we blindly listen to, you know, what our health experts are saying, or where we're kind of self-caring by ourselves. It should be somewhere in the middle where we find the right ones for us according to what we need. I was actually going to touch on the uniqueness of one's health and what our needs are and you it's so sarah thanks for asking that question because i wanted to hear it from Anka as well um as i don't know if if you're ready to jump into why women are not winning at health because i think it's it's just um this is the perfect segue to your book when I met Dr. Allison McGregor and Dr. Marjorie Jenkins, again, I was in a place of I'm going to find the best health experts in, in everything. And I found them because they are the leaders in um, gender health and in women's health. They've spent their careers dedicated to this. And this is what I discovered, which I had no idea about, even though, you know, I was fairly interested in my own health. When we say gender health, it means that 
science has proven that men and women are different on a cellular level. So whereas before we kind of thought, okay, so only our reproductive organs are different um, and everything else is the same, our hearts are the same, our digestion is the same, our brains are the same. It turns out in every cell, there's a sex. You're either a woman or a male. And that impacts everything. It impacts how we digest. It impacts how our brains are. And there's a fantastic book on this by um, Dr. Marianne Legato as well that looks at male and female brains and how they're different. Our hearts are different. In every way, we are different. But science in the past, all modern science, so Western medicine, has studied the male body and applied it to um, women. And this is what I mean when I say male-centric medicine. Now, with the presumption that we're the same, but since we're not, what is happening is that the things that have been discovered on male bodies from disease to treatment to even health wellness do not fit our bodies so well. So let me give you some stats around that. In the U.S., 80% of the medicine that's taken off of the market is because it has a negative side effect in women. It's somehow, you know, it's metabolized differently by women. This is shocking when you consider that 80% of medicine consumed in the U.S. is consumed by women, right? So when I saw this, because again, I'm not a doctor, but I'm like, wait, the numbers don't add up here. If women are the biggest client, then why are we not making most of the medicine for women? <laughs> like, it's just, it's a no-brainer, right? But this is, again, male and female bodies are different. And let's say that you're going to launch a medicine on the market or you're going to um, a medical device or, or something, right? And you're going to test it on a group of 10 men. Uh, you're going to see if it works. And so then with the 10 men, you get pretty similar results. It's working. It's not working. These are the side effects. But you take 10 women and you test that medicine on them and then it depends, you get different results because they're on different parts of their menstrual cycle. Because one is postpartum, because one is perimenopause, because one is menopause, one is postmenopause. So then you get very different results. So then when you're testing this, 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 this medicine on a group of men and women or women only, the study becomes a lot longer. You need to include a lot more subjects. It becomes a lot more expensive. And it's not, the numbers are not 10 women, are normally thousands of people that this is tested on. And the process takes, you know, five to 10 to 15 years. And it's not just women because you start with cells. And so from the cellular part, it's the medicine is tested on cells, tested on male cells, then male animals, then you know, men, and then applied to women. It's like, oh, it's metabolized differently. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so then things like, you know, you might have heard or, you know, when, when uh, men have issues with their heart, a good preventative technique is to give them baby aspirin. If you give women baby aspirin for their heart, it does nothing. So this is the system that we're in today. And th things are changing. So, you know, Dr. Alison McGregor, Dr. Mar Marjorie Jenkins are working and, and hundreds of others are working from the inside to change the system. They are, uh, you know, Dr. Marjorie Jenkins worked in the FDA to advocate to get more women into studies. Uh, Dr. Alison McGregor um, works to train medical students on this subject. So they're 
many are advocating from the inside. The gap is still wide. And ne since until 1993, there were no women included in studies. After 1993, um, it was decided that actually, you know, Maybe we should include some women <laughs> but so they're including them but unfortunately what's happening now is that they're not de-aggregating the results so we're not looking at this is what's happening in men this is what's happening in women and we're just kind of looking at the results as they are so the path is you know the gap is still wide in this what can you do because so this is this is the first part of the book as women we need to understand this we need to understand this so that when we go to our doctor, we can ask and challenge them, you know, has this been studied on women? Sometimes they won't know. They will look for the information. Sometimes they'll discover that it's not. But then you can, that's how we push the system. And that's how, you know, we, we don't try something. And when it doesn't work for us, we kind of blame ourselves or we feel lost. We, at least we understand that the system that we're functioning in, right? Um, even things like, so the number one killer for both men and women is heart disease. It's actually a bit of a misunderstanding for that women is breast cancer. It's heart disease for both men and women. Now, Dr. Allison McGregor talks about how male and female hearts are different because they are completely different. So in other words, like tingling in the left arm sometime or um, difficulty breathing, pressure in the chest, you know, you, you kind of thing that you see when you look at like Hollywood movies, right? It's actually called the Hollywood heart attack. The, oh, I have tingling in my left arm. I can't breathe. You know, Dr. Big kills over and like dies off of his peloton. Um, <laughs> that's a male heart attack. Okay. It's a male or heart Hollywood heart attack. Women have different heart attacks. We have pain in the stomach, um, headaches, difficulty breathing, just not feeling quite right. So our heart attacks, most of the times, the symptoms are different because our hearts are different. Yet in medical books to this day, the female heart attack, which is the symptoms of a female heart attack, are considered atyp atypical. So what are the consequences of that? One, we don't know. So then when we experience it, we're like, oh, my, do I have food poisoning? Like, well, what, what am I feeling? So we don't really know. So it's not like men, when they experience it, they're like, we, we you know, rush to the hospital. Once we go to the hospital, because the doctors have not in the emergency room systematically been trained to identify it, then they're like, mm, you know, it's, here's some medicine, go home. And then women are 70% more likely to die of a heart attack. So, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's frustrating to hear, right? <laughs> but, I mean, just, just, yeah, just, the, just the, quick, I know there's a lot page. more. I know, right? But I mean, do you, how, how far behind, you'd say there's a gap, like if you had to put a number of years on it, how, is this generations, are we generations behind in terms of, of women's health? Look, I, I, I think there's a lot of knowledge that is out there already we just need to access it and before we you know it's great that medicine is moving very fast and it's moving beyond these issues to other things but before we as consumers go there or before we go to again things like uh the the, the thigh gap and the <laughs> all of these things these basics need to be covered um we need to understand our disease. We need to understand how we metabolize drugs. We need to understand postpartum, menopause, 
perimenopause, our periods. We need to understand these things and tap into the best tools from across the world because that's already going to do a huge, you know, a huge benefit to our health. The CDC estimates that 80 to 90% of chronic diseases can be prevented, 80 to 90%, but only 8% of American adults use the right preventative strategies. So again, we are, we are obsessed with health and we take, you know, in large part, we, we try many things from diets to exercise to so many supplements, supplements, powders to keep ourselves healthy. Um, unfortunately, as I see with the health experts, because those are products that are pushed at us, a lot of the times they're causing more harm than good. And a lot of the time, preventative care lies in an area that until today is not that exciting. Right? It's so exciting to say like, oh, you're going to do this seven-day juice cure and you're going to have glowing skin and you're going to detoxify and all of this. And you can, you know, you can overpromise because you're not an expert. So you're, you know, these programs are overpromising. And people might feel better in the moment, but what does that do to their gut health? What does that do to their microbiota? What does that do to their long-term health when you keep on bouncing back and forth between diets and, and, you know, and all of these extreme things? As we see, not so, not, it's not so good. So our hormones, <laughs> hormones yeah. from personal experience, I'm like, yes, all these, yeah, these like detox quick fixes. They yeah. actually all, yeah, I, I, I believe in fasting, intermittent fasting, but too much of it can also drive a woman's hormones out of whack. Yeah. And, and nobody really talks about that as much. No. So, so is that, I, you know, I'm, I looked at intermittent fasting quite closely because I tried it myself. And again, as we do one thing, we do everything. So if we only take a look at this, um, Intermittent fasting, which is basically, you know, reducing the amount of calories, but also giving your body a bit of a break, um, is promising so many things. And some of these things are true, but they're true for people that don't have a lot of stress, that are in their 20s, that are, you know, they're just kind of in this place or they're men because this, this has been studied on men. Yes. Um, but I tried it and I was, this, this was my experience with it. Uh, so I was skipping breakfast, Evan, you know, famous Evan, <laughs> he did it in a week, a week later, he was striving. He was like, my mind feels much better. I, I, uh, feel a lot lighter. I have a lunch and I just, I feel great after it. It gets my day started so well. I tried it and I was suffering. I, uh, spent half the day angry and thinking about food uh, with, you know, thinking about food or being, having such brain fog that I couldn't really do anything else. Then I need a lunch and I couldn't really digest it well. So I spent the next two to three hours just kind of being like, Oh, I didn't really digest that well. And then it was nighttime. Right. So, and, um, I met with one of our health experts who's a clinical nutritionist and she said, well, let's look at what you're, what's happening right now with you. So she did one of those, she put one of these insulin patches where you can test your insulin right away in my arm. And she said, let's see what's happening with you. And then let's correlate that with, with your life. What I had noticed when I put that patch on where you can basically test your insulin at any point of the day is 
I was waking up and my insulin was really, really low. And she said, oh, what's happening? Oh, well, you know, my baby's one year old and she wakes up a few times a night and she's like, okay, so you're, you're waking up a few times a night, so you're not sleeping well. You're also one year postpartum. You've just stopped breastfeeding and you started in your, you know, your, how you have your own business. So you're up at all hours of the night on calls with the U.S. Um, you are, your stress levels in the morning are really, really high. At that point, what I was doing to myself when I wasn't eating is I was just basically putting my body in crash mode. And that just got me going on a negative pattern for the rest of the day. And she said, look, if you want to do it, and if you insist on doing it, although I don't think it's the right moment in your life, you could skip a night meal. She said, I see a lot of women thriving when they skip the, the meal at night versus the day. Look, the only thing that that's taught me is I'm going to, I'm going to eat in the morning. <laughs> I can be a good human for the rest of the day. The other thing that it taught me after looking at that is because of my body type, I have a tendency to always be low in energy and I do need to snack during the day. Like I'm just, I function so much better. I have, you know, fruit, not whatever through, throughout the day and I'm, I'm feeling well. All this is to say, I'm not discounting intermittent fasting by any means, but all of those benefits that they're talking about applies to a certain person, not to everybody. And what we do, especially as women, when something doesn't work is, oh, I wasn't strong enough. I couldn't do it. I failed, right? We never say, oh, silly, silly intermittent fasting that didn't work for me. I needed to see it on paper. I needed somebody to kind of, you know, see it on paper have a talk with me and be like, for this, this, that reason, it's not good for you. Um, and I think more often when we try, especially not health, but wellness things, um, we need, if it's not working for us, we need to say, okay, if there should be a reason that this is not working for me, either somebody can explain it, but it doesn't mean I necessarily failed at this. Um, Dr. Marjorie Jenkins in the book, again, talks about the relationship that you should have with your doctor. But even when it comes to medicine, you need, you need to evaluate how you feel on the medicine. You need to have that discussion and, 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 and the communication with your doctor um, because the practice that she has set up in the US, especially when it came to, to women's health, um, was an integrative approach where you'd meet with your doctor, you'd have access to other health practitioners and no doctor, and this is a, you know, a, a myth I would say after I've met with many doctors, especially in the US, that they're going to push you on only, you know, one type of medicine or one type of, no, they're, they're going to challenge you. How is your, you know, your, your family health? How is your, your spiritual health? How is it? And even if you are a Western doctor, they have a holistic view on health. You just need to find that kind of doctor. I mean, oh my God, there's so much information here. And it's a good I, thing you wrote a book on it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the She Talks Asia podcast. Watch out for our next episode for more inspiring and insightful stories. You can also check us out or shoot us a message over at She Talks Asia on Instagram and Facebook or via SheTalksAsia.com. Next time here on the She Talks Asia podcast... I realized that there was a second hurdle to women's health and we cannot look at one without the other. And the second hurdle, which is just as big as the first one and just as dramatic is ourselves. Catch you next week. <laughs>